great day to be alive, isn't it? Hey, what's the alternative? <laughs> hey, let me stop and say welcome. I know we got people watching online. Uh, we had some people call say they were sick this morning. I know we still got some traveling coming out of the winter break. So we miss you. We love you. Um, but I still say there's nothing like being here together in a room full of people who aren't perfect, but we serve a perfect God. And um, it just, it does me good to come together. And I don't know if it blesses you, but uh, it makes me happy to see your smiling faces. Even if we have to give you some caffeine to get it smiling, I'm all good with that. <laughs> hey, this morning, um, we're gonna, I'm going to do a second part of the series. And I hope you've noticed a theme over the last, actually, several weeks. Um, we intentionally kind of ran this together with um, some previous messages, some pre previous activities. Um, we've been to Honduras to, to see the kids at the care point. Um, we've done the, had the guy, uh, Shannon, from Family for Families here, who again, this afternoon, if you're interested in that faith-based fostering, um, that will be next door at 3 o'clock. Um, and we've really been kind of focusing the last several weeks on, on everything kids, minus last week. Um, last week was really setting us up as adults. If you missed last week on the marriage sermon we did, go check that out. Um, I had a request, like, you need to teach three, four solid weeks on marriage. And when you do, you look at my husband and <laughs> I was like, well, it don't kind of work that way. But um, last week I thought was a good one. Um, but if you haven't noticed in the church, if you've been here for a while, and if you're visiting this good information for you, a lot of what we do, a big portion of everything we do, kind of I feel our church's niche in the kingdom bigger picture is kids. And everything we do, we put a lot of effort and time and our finances into kids from the kids next door in the nursery and in the kids' church to Project 216, um, which does clothes, supplies, food bags, to the Care Point Honduras, to again to the Families for Families partnership that we've started with that group. Um, but today, in this relationship series, um, I'm just going to challenge you. If you're visiting for the first time today, I see some new faces. Um, I'm normally very sweet. I don't laugh. Somebody should be saying like, amen. Today, um, like the person that you need in your lives, I have somebody in my life that does this to me that challenges you. One of those people is Melanie. Um, sometimes you need somebody to challenge you, make you better push you a little further than maybe you would have gone on your own. So I'm going to do that today. I just want to give you a heads up. If you want sweet and nice, come back next week. I'll be sweet as anything. But this morning, I'm a little excited. What I want to tell you today, I heard a, uh, another pastor preach on this and talk about it about a year ago. And I've been kind of sitting on it for a year. And then earlier this year, I kind of felt like God said, okay, this is a time that we're going to stick it in. And so that's how long I've been talking about this. And I'm challenging more than usual. I'm going to force us to look at something in our own lives. Because I believe that we have an opportunity as a church. I'm just going to talk to us today. If you're visiting with us today and you have somewhere else you call home, I'm talking about us. I can only speak for this house. This is what God's, where God's put me. Um, but I believe it's time for us to step up. But I want you to know some things ahead of time. So much so that I want to put it on the screen for you. What I'm giving you is not a church growth plan. 
What I'm going to say today is not trying to build our numbers so we can pack it out and say, ooh, look at us. Now, don't get me wrong. Every number is important because every number has a name and every name is known by God. And every name, every name has a story, and that story is important to God. But that's not what we're doing today. What I want to talk about today is this, a generational rescue plan. I don't know if you've seen what's been going on in the news in Asbury College in Kentucky. Um, it's actually popping up in Lee College in Tennessee. There's several colleges in Colorado, one in Alabama. Where just this, that generation is really finding this experience with God. Now, what I think is happening, and no matter how long they go, no matter what you call it, no matter what people say, they're going to have people saying, ooh, this is bad, or ooh, this is good. But the bottom line is for us, I think it's time that the church will wake up. Because it's this generation that I have kids in, this Generation Z. They're born from 1995 to about 2015. I mean, uh, sorry, that's not right. Where did I mess that number up? Y'all do the math. I missed that number in there somewhere. I just typed it. But the current age, I know this is right. If you're between the ages of 8 and 28, then that's what, the, that's what is considered Gen Z. It's a group that, that is the group that is now in the Asbury and across the United States, really even around the world, is beginning to stir. And suddenly they're they're coming alive and it was a group that was dismissed that we kind of said well they don't want God we're not going to force it on them we're just going to let them go and there's some of you in here on the older side that fit this number but generation z these stats are just are heartbreaking to me two of three of gen zers have left the church two out of three that means we could count one two three one two three and every one and two of you are out and that, that of Gen Zers, that's just terrible to me. Only 3% are reading the Bible. 97% of 8 to 28-year-olds are not reading the Bible. I'm praying in this house that's different, that we don't match that, that statistic. As a matter of fact, I don't think we do, because you guys have been jumping on board and reading your Bible. Of that group, they spend four-plus hours just interacting with their screens. Now, I know that's a problem for all of us, including me. But these, these are a group that says, I'm going to disconnect with the world, and I'm going to live my life through this little screen, and that's the world, and that's my truth. And I don't think we realize the mess that it's making. That we understand that 3% is not acceptable. Two of three of, of, if you have three kids and you say, well, you're batting one for three and they're in church, it's not a good, not a good thing. They're just becoming completely disconnected. I want to set this verse up for them. I'm going to give you a verse in a minute before they show it to you. This is a verse out of the book of Nehemiah. And God must be telling us something because I didn't realize this till this week. I was sitting with Melanie in the office and kind of sharing my message with her and talking about it. And she said, well, you know, that's the verse I used back in October. And I had forgotten that, but I went back and looked, and she's right, and it is. So God must be telling us something. But it's a book, it's out of the book of Nehemiah. And if you remember in the told you in the Bible, the Bible 
as we see it, is not listed in chronological order. But the book of Nehemiah was actually the last book written of the Old Testament. So when Nehemiah was written and then Nehemiah was finished, the, the Bible calls, talks about or tells us there's these silent years between the end of the Old Testament and when Jesus showed up in the New Testament. And during these years, the people of God, the Israelites, were in captivity under a foreign king. And Nehemiah was, a, was a, on the staff of the king. And he had favor with the king. And so Nehemiah went to the king and said, Hey, I want to go back home to my people because I'm losing them. The generations are disappearing because there's no home, there's no city. So he, he asked the king for permission for him to send him back to Israel to rebuild Jerusalem. So Nehemiah goes, is, gets permission and goes back. And this is where we'll pick it up in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, after I look things over, this is kind of where I feel like we've been and I've been the last several weeks thinking about this message. Looking over at our youth, looking over at my kids, looking over watching this, the Asbury thing and the revivals kind of coming to life. Watching kids on the other side of the spectrum, they're not in revival, they're just in complete rebellion to authority, to much less, the, much less God, anybody, any authority. But he says, I looked things over, and he said, I stood up and said to the leaders of his nation and said this, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the people. It goes on in verse 14. It says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And I highlighted this for you. I want you to say these words with me. And fight for your... Say it again. And fight for your families. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Well, how is this a relationship series? How is this? Because we're not teaching our kids how to have relationships. We're not teaching our kids how to have relationships with God. And the unpopular opinion that I think is true that the world says is not is this right here. And that is this generation, the Gen X, the Gen X age, wants you to fight for them. They want you to fight for them. And the world would say, no, 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 no. They want to be left alone. They want to find their own way in life. They, want to, um, they don't want the traditional parents. They don't want family involved. They don't want God involved. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not true. And we're buying that. And we're letting, we're letting the world tell us, well, just let your kids, just let them go. Let them do their thing. They'll come back. But what if they don't? Two out of three not in church and 3% reading their Bible. Those aren't good odds for me. I don't like those odds. And I think this time that we do something about it. I had a... a church I follow last year and I, I called them and got the info from them and they did a survey of middle schoolers and high schoolers for those of you in the room you guys in high school and middle school listen up they did a survey and they asked these kids to fill out an anonymous survey and give us your honest answers and I was shocked Here's what they said when I asked this question. What do you wish your parents knew about you? I, I was 
kind of flabbergasted when I, when I read. I'm only going to give you ten. I wish my parents knew that my actions don't always show it, but I desperately want to please them. See, we, the world say, no, that's not true, that's not true. The kids just want to do what they want, and they want you to be happy with whatever they are. No, no, no. That's what the world tells them is okay, but the Bible tells us that we're to teach them and instruct them in the ways of God. I wish my parents knew that I treasured their advice even when I don't care. Even when I act like it. I act like I don't care, but I, I do treasure their advice. It makes a difference in my life. And we teach, oh, no, no, they, they really don't care what you have to say. Just, just leave them alone, leave them alone. They just want their screens. Just tap on the screen. Just leave them alone. I wish my parents knew, my, the dads, I wish dad you knew that holding your hand means a lot to me even when I act embarrassed. Even when I act like it doesn't matter to me. I, was sh- I stood back like, are all, all our kids calling us out as fathers? Some who are biological fathers, some who are stepfathers, some who are just a male figure in a young person's life. I wish my parents knew when they told me no about going on a date, I'm grateful they were fighting for me. Your kids are going to be upset when you tell them no. And this particular kid said, I just love, I, I'm mad, but it brings me peace when I know my parents care enough to tell me no. Instead of worrying about making me happy, they worry about keeping me safe, keeping me holy, keeping me pure, and telling me no. I wish my parents knew, don't just threaten to punish me. I need it. So do it. Anybody guilty of that? I'm the only one? Oh, I told you, if you do that again, I'm going to. 47 times later, we still haven't. I wish my parents knew watching you fight the way you fight really messed me up. You think it's just you and your wife having a knockdown drag out, you and your husband having a knockdown drag out, but this, these kids were saying, hey, we see that. I think it even teaches them how they're going to eventually treat people, how they're going to learn to fight. It really messed me up. I wish my parents knew their words matter to me more than anyone else. How many of you have been guilty? Don't raise your hands on this one because probably all of us are, but it's not a good thing. Have said to your kids, you're just a bad kid, you're a terrible kid, you dummy, you d-, and we negative and d- talk down. You're never going to be, you never will be. You're always screwing up. Their words matter to me more than anything else. I wish my parents knew. I really do want to talk about it when I mess up. I really do. These are middle school and high schoolers now saying, I, I, I don't want to just be punished or hated or, or your disappointment spread on me. I want to, why did I mess up? How do I not do it again? Here's one that kind of made me sit down. I wish my parents knew the evil I faced every day. When teenagers and middle schoolers are looking at life and going, I've got to walk into that. And I think as parents, sometimes we want to just put the blinders on to think, well, they're in school, you know, they're not on drugs, they're not doing this or that, but everything must be good. 
And they're saying, no, you don't realize what I'm walking into every day. I know in, in this church we have a lot of teachers from elementary school all the way through high school. And some of you can probably say, oh, yeah, we see it. What are we going to do about it? I wish my parents knew about the fear I hide behind in my rebellion. There are kids being rebellious simply because they're just afraid. They're terrified of what you're going to say, of what other people are going to say. And this one shouldn't be a shocker to us, but it's still true. I wish my parents knew how hard it was to stay pure. I can remember back, you know, I'm 48, so anybody think around my age, like, if you wanted to look at stuff and do stuff, you had to work at it. Sad, but now all you got to do is ask Siri or Alexa to do it for you. Or search any number of social medias or anything, and it's, it's there. See, they want us to fight for them. They tell you, they don't tell you because maybe some of their fear and their reservations or the way we present ourselves, they don't tell us, but they want us to fight. This morning, I'm going to tell you some things that we are already doing here. We're already doing in Believer's Church, and we do, a, we do this all very intentionally because those things scare me. My 14-year-old sitting on the front row, and those things scare me. So we're doing this now so we don't have to face, we can keep them away from it. In our children's church ministry, in the nursery, and in the kids, every week, if you don't know this, your kids are engaged in a time of praise and worship. We're teaching them how to worship. We're teaching them how to um, express their love for God. They get in small groups. Sometimes in, in same sexes, sometimes in the same age groups. And then they talk about the, the Bible lesson that day, how, what it means, how do we use this, how do I as an elementary school kid walk this out. They're done, they're done in grade appropriate curriculum. You give us those six years of your kid's life and they're here every week, they're going to go through most of the Bible. You're, we're not just over there entertaining them, although from what I hear, there are more kids asking to come than parents who are actually bringing them, which amazes me. There are kids begging their parents to come. In children's ministry, we came up even with them. We have no God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. In their world, there's two big signs over there. I encourage you one day, maybe go look at them. Big colored squares that say, love God, love people, do your best. Have fun. We want kids to think of God as fun. Don't think of God as you coming to coming to a place and they tell you how bad you are and how terrible you are. Our goal is not to get the evil out of kids. Our goal is to get the kids closer to the goodness of God. Kids come out, born, and they already know how to disobey. Did anybody ever have to teach your kids how to disobey? No. I was picking it where's. Charlie and Lauren back there, Miss Kennedy, their little one-year-old. And uh, I picked her up the other day, which if you don't want your baby picked up, just tell me, but I like to pick up babies. So I picked her up, and she snarled, and she had this brow. She gave me the stink face. I was like, and then she grinned, and, I do, and she, just, she was expressing to me, I'm not happy with this situation. 
I want to go back to mama. Nobody had to teach her that. Nobody had to teach her to, to let her feelings be known. Nobody has to teach your kids to do exactly the opposite of what you tell them to do. I was that kid. Clint, don't stick the knife in the outlet. I'll show you. Honey, why are the lights out? Oh, Clint stuck the knife in the outlets and the breakers are popped. But we want to teach them, love God, love people, do your best and have fun. In middle and high school, they also do praise and worship. Every Wednesday night, 6.30. I had to stop and think there. 6.30 every Wednesday night, we've got a team that leads them. They come in and they do worship. They get into small groups, sometimes divided by sex, sometimes divided by age group, and they sit and talk. And let me tell you, we didn't ask our kids those questions directly, but about spring of last year, they began, Melanie did kind of ask some of these things. And I'm willing to bet that your kids have the same answers. That survey was just taken one year ago in another state, same age, same climate. So we get them in a small group so they can talk about those things in life, so they can talk about how, how do I take this, what you're telling me to do and live, and this God that loves me, and how do I walk that out? And here's the other thing that we do, and we're, gonna, we're doing our best to pick this up with more intentional focus on it, and that is I need you to know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, I need you to look at me. I do not consider you just a part, another section of the church. You are the church. You're health, I, we want you to be a healthy and active part of this church. Because if we don't begin to teach kids now that we're fighting for them and that we want them to be a part of the church and what it means to be healthy and active and serving on a dream team and tithing and giving and attending every Sunday and making this part of their lives, then they're not going to. Because parents, what we... What we consider an option, our kids will never prioritize. What we consider an option, your kids will not consider even necessary because it's an option for you. And I want our kids to know that we're, that we're fighting for them. Where our goal is to get all of them taking their one step, one step closer every day. So then I'm asked the question, Clint, what am I supposed to do? How is a parent, how is a friend... How do a close, as a close family member, do we change that? Because it scares me. And I told you, I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm going to look you directly in the eye and ask you for some things. And if you know me, I don't do that a whole lot. We don't, when it comes to money and those kind of things, we don't get in and ask for money because I believe if we're doing what God's asked us to do, then we shouldn't have to, and we don't because you guys are generous, the budget's growing, and God's supplying everything we need. But I'm going to challenge you this morning because I believe this, Believer's Church, it's time we step up. It's time whether you want to kick in the pants, light your tail on fire, whatever old adage you can come up with, it's time we as a group begin to not fall back but step forward because there's a generation that is going to disappear. At the current rate, and I want, I want to tell you this. I, did, I couldn't find the numbers, but I know they're there. Um, for us as a church, there's some things that are unique and very godly about our church. That in the last two years, again, don't hold me to the number, but I'm close. 
our median age has dropped. Our average age has dropped by almost 10 years. That means we're making a difference. Not that we don't care about the, the older generation, but to me, the older generation ought to be taking care of the younger generation because if the younger generation doesn't follow us, all of us old folks are going to what? We're all going to die one day. We're going to be gone. I don't know if you've known it, but there is some things certain in life besides taxes, and one of them is we're all going to die. Either Jesus comes back or you die. One of the two. There's really no other options. So it's time for us as a church to step up. But as a church, our median age has come down, and we have a higher percentage of people in the 8 to 28 range in our church now. And really, I guess there's... This is the number I was looking for. We are at a higher percentage in that age group than a lot of other churches in the state and in the country. And in a small town, that's a big deal. But it's time that we step up. There ever was opportunity at churches now. And I want to give you three ways. We'll close out with this. I'm going to give you three things that you can do. We can do as a church. Whether you're in middle school, high school, you're an adult, you're an, an older adult, you've been saved for a week, whatever it is, wherever category you fit, we can get busy. This is not a message for you who have kids. This is not a message directly for you who don't have kids. This is a me- not a message to try to grow the church. This is for us to rescue a generation that I think is screaming for us to fight for them. The first thing you can do, you can pray for this generation. And I don't mean just, just a daily... Lord, help them. But I mean, mark it in your life, mark it on your calendar, mark it somehow that we're praying for this generation. What do you pray? Clint, what do I pray? Good, I'm glad you asked. You can pray for them to have a fear and a reverence for God. This is not a fear like, ooh, I'm afraid that he's going to get me. This is the highest of utmost respect. Because if you looked at this generation from the 8th to the 28th, the 8th to the 30th in the world in general, what do they think about authority? They just thumb their noses up to it. What do they think about people telling them what to do? Tell you, we don't, we don't want you to tell us what to do. I don't think that's true. So we teach them to have a fear and a reverence for God. The Bible says in Psalm 34, he says, Come, my children, listen to me, and I'm going to teach you how to fear the Lord. Your kids, our kids may not, they don't know that. We have to teach them, and they learn it by our actions. They learn it by what we do. The next thing you can pray is you pray for God to bring them divine favor. I didn't give you the verse, but there's a verse in the New Testament that says, The Holy Spirit goes before me, making a way before with God and man. I truly believe that's how we're supposed to walk. Divine favor is God involved in their lives. Even when they realize, and they'll begin to realize, that God's doing things in their lives that they don't deserve. Like, I, I didn't behave, I wasn't that great last week, but now God's beginning to, to give me some favor and open doors in my life. The Bible says in Psalm 512, that surely the Lord will bless you with the righteousness and surround them with your favor as a shield. Your favor, God's favor will protect your children. Today, in the, in the world that we live in, where crazy stuff is happening all the time, the thing that brings me peace is not that I think I can always protect my kids, but I know God can. I know the Bible says his favor is around them. If God has to move my child out of a situation because he knows something coming, then God move. 
God brings them divine favor. Here's another one, and I'm going to tell you this one. I live this one. I'm a product of two parents who did this. Pray for God to bring godly friends. You show me your friends, I'll show you their future. You tell me who your friends are, even as adults. You, want, you show me, these are my friend set, and I will be able to tell you exactly what your future is going to look like because those are the ones that influence them. I lived through this. I lived through having to make a decision to walk away from a friend set and believe in God for new friends. I lived through thinking, God, I can find my own wife, I can find this, to sitting on the beach in St. Augustine, Florida in the summer of 98 and going, God, I'm done. And months later, meeting Melanie. I'm, God, I'm done. You're going to bring them to me. Bring her to me. I give up. And then a month later, Melanie shows up. If you don't think it's important for your kids as teenagers to start praying for their husband and wife now, oh. Why? Because the thing you're praying for is God keep them protected, keep them safe. Because one day, they're going to meet up with my, my kid, my son, my daughter. And I want them to have everything you want for them already with them. When they meet my son, my daughter. That's what we pray for ours. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens an iron, so friends sharpen each other. Do your kids' friends make them sharper? And pun very much intended? Or does it dull them? Does it dull them to the things of the world? Does it dull them to their decisions? Does it dull them to God? Or does it sharpen them? Can they tell you more about God after hanging out with them, or do they tell you less about God and more about other stuff? This generation needs to know, and if you're in the room again, middle schoolers and high schoolers and college age, you need to know God has you here for a reason. You're not just existing in little Scriven County like nobody sees me, nobody cares. You're here for a reason. You're a part of our church for a reason. Our church is in this, in this county for a reason. Now, number two, I need to ask you a question first, and I need you to, to respond with a yep or a nope. My question is, can I tell you this like I really feel, or do you want me to sugarcoat it? You want, because I really want to say it the way I really feel it, but I'm really, I don't want to hurt anybody either. So here we go. The second is, you need to prioritize church. I may be preaching to the choir because your kids need more than a message. Listen, I know when you come in and you leave and you hear me speak that you're, you're flying on cloud nine and it's the best thing ever and nobody can hold a candle to my, my poetic sermons and my jokes are all funny and bull. <laughs> your kids need more than a message, a message even watching online. Your kids need to see you demonstrating what it looks like to love God. They don't need to see you just talking about it because we talk a good game. And I don't know about it, when you were a kid, and I think they still say it, but um, what they say about uh, what walks, what talks. <laughs> then I think we're, we're good at blowing smoke and acting like it's really what we feel when it's really not. That sometimes the baloney, the, the poo of our lives, yeah, we're good talkers, but it doesn't hold to, hold to anything. This generation needs you to take them to church. 
They need to see what it looks like for you to love God. So I ask you this question, and I ask you it very directly. How are we doing in this? Are you demonstrating love? Maybe, I mean, I'll be straight with you. Jesus went to church. He said, well, I'm going to walk and talk, and my goal is to be like Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, on the Sabbath day, that he went into the synagogue, which was their church, as was his custom. That means he did it every day. A custom is not something you do once a month. A custom is not something you do once every six months. So I ask you, what's your custom? Better yet, let me put it this way. What are your priorities? What's, what's listing out, if you had to write them out, these are my priorities. Because we hear it all the time. Because as grow group leaders and as even Melanie and I as, as staff and uh, Bob, we, we check on people as best we can and we're calling people, hey, we just want to know we missed you today, Sunday, you know, we seen you in a couple Sundays. And we, we get the litany of, you know, everything from major sickness to the death in the family to my kids woke up late to I woke up late to they stayed up late to we stayed up late to the sun's shining, it's raining, it's hot, it's cold, it's, you know, it's June, it's January, it's April, it's December, everything. And I had a coach, I think he was in high school, that used to say this, talking about team, talking about being a part of a team, but I think this fits here. And he used to say, if it's truly a priority, it happens. If it's not a priority, it might happen. See, I think we, we, we're forgetting what the Bible tells us about what it means to come together, what it means to demonstrate us coming together. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let's see how inventive we can be encouraging love and helping out. And it says, and not avoiding worshiping together, not avoiding coming together. Especially as we see the day. You know, the day is capital D. That means Jesus coming back. So let me ask you this question. If, if I told you, and I can't, and anybody who does is, is lying to you, but let's just for the sake of the argument. If I told you on June the 1st, Jesus is coming back. We knew, told us, special, you know, he wrote it in the sky, whatever you want. Jesus is coming back. Then I answer this question, what would you do different? Would deciding next week or next weekend or two weekends, deciding on church be an option? Or to be a priority because Jesus is coming back. Because the bottom line is those, that they're, the generation that's, the, that's leaving the church, the two out of the three, they're facing an eternity, but it's not the one you want. They're facing eternity, but it's going to be without Jesus. So do we start now? What do we do different? See, we, we, we have to pray, we have to prioritize, and we have to teach and show them what it means and how it, what it looks like to love God, serve God, serve His people. Teach them to understand that life is always better with God and His people. And then the third one, ushers, you can do your thing, band, you guys can come. The third one, do you still love me? Okay, didn't sound too sure, but I'll take that. <laughs> 
The third one, you can pray, you prioritize, and you participate. Because you can talk a good game, you can pray a good game, but unless you walk a good game, this generation, Generation Z, can sniff out phony. They see it and go, yeah, you're saying one thing and doing another. Parents, we as parents are telling our kids, hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And what do they see us do? Do this, do this, do this, and this. Don't do it. You shouldn't do it. Just wait until you're 21 or wait until you're eight. Wait, wait, wait. And they say, well, you do it. Well, I'm an adult. Well, I don't remember sin in the Bible ever being a child or an adult thing. It's just wrong. I want you to know this. You participate. Be an example. Be available. Be encouraging. Adults, get on a dream team. If you're, Melanie was talking about One Step Connect. If you want to make this home, come to our One Step Connect. We tell you about the church. You're connected to a dream team, and we get you serving, get you making a difference, get you demonstrating to them. Middle schoolers, we don't consider you part of the church when you become an adult. or When you get to high school, you're part of the church now. There are right now middle schoolers in our tech booth serving right now. Over in the kids' church, serving right now. In the nursery, serving right now. You can be a greeter. We can put you out front so you can smile and hold signs and wave at people. Whatever it is you feel like God's got you to do, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you're the same thing. We've got high schoolers that serve. We've got middle schoolers, again, serving everywhere. Do something. You don't become a part of the church when you're an adult. You're a part of the church now. Do something. Demonstrate to your fellow Gen Xers, hey, you can do this. You can follow God, and we can make this. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3.14. It says, but you must remain faithful. And Paul's writing this to Timothy, who was, he told early on, hey, don't let people look down at you because you're young. And if you're in this house, you've been taught. Remain faithful to those things you've been taught because they're true and you know they're true and you know you can trust them and you can trust the people who taught you. And I'm not talking about me. I hope you can trust me and I hope you do trust me, but the people you trust are the rest of us as adults. That when my daughter, when I tell her something, she knows I'm telling her the truth. When I tell her something, she knows and I tell them something, she, they know that I'm telling them because I really do have their best interest at heart, not what it looks like for me. Normally I have you stand, but I'm going to ask you to stay seated for a second and do a little different. I told you today I was going to challenge you, and I really, I'm asking you just in all sincerity, I want you to really answer this question. If God right now could snap his fingers and your priorities would appear on the screen behind me, would the list surprise you? Would a list of your priorities, what you think they are and what God says they actually are, would those things line up? Because I think a lot of us would be shocked. And the Bible tells us that if if it doesn't line up, if God's not in the number one seat, 
And the Bible says that's idolatry. And we think, ooh, that's demonic, that's, that's devil worship. No, idolatry is simply somebody else, something else is sitting in God's seat. And God sits in the number one seat. He can't sit anywhere else. He doesn't take number two. I truly believe that in the, in the, if we had all of our priorities listed out and seats and chairs on the stage, and even if we had God at number two, okay, God, this is where you're going to sit, you know, right here in the second seat, I think he would just stand there. Not because he's being obstinate, not because he's being ugly. He's just saying, listen, I can't physically sit down. I can't sit in any other seat. And if you want two through ten to go well, then you need me at number one, not number two. You need me sitting in that first slot as a priority. Because the only way we're going to rescue Gen Z, the only way we're going to begin to rescue this generation that is our future, but is the church future, is if God, for all of us, is priority number one. And there's another whole series on what that looks like, but today it's a simple decision. What I'd like to do now is ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm still not going to call you to the front, but I am going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to, in a second to join me standing. But I only want you to do it if you're serious. And the, to, for you to stand, I want you to, can you say this? Either say, I am certain that God is number one. Or for a lot of us, probably including me, do you stand and say, Clint, he's not, but I'm repenting and he is now. He either is number one or you're about to make him number one. In just a second, I'm just going to do the one, two, and when I say three, I'm going to ask you to stand. Because I'm serious about this. I'm really troubled. There are thousands of, of Gen Xers within miles of here that don't know where they're going. They don't know what's ahead of them. They don't know the love that God has for them. And we cannot just let them walk away. On the count of three, if God's number one is... Or you need to make him number one. Then on the count of three, I want you to jump to your feet. And one, two, three. If you're sitting down, no harm, no foul. That's between you and God. But if you're standing, then I'm going to ask you. Because you need two things. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says that you simply a prayer. And say, God, I, I, I repent, I'm sorry. For the rest of us who know Jesus, it's still a repentance. What I'm going to ask you to do, we're about to sing one more song. This song is called, Lord, I Need You. And during that song, you need to have a time with God and say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm putting you in first place. And when you're not in first place, I need you to remind me. I need you to bump me on the head, smack me, wake me up so that I keep you there because you being there is the only way we're going to win Gen Z. And we're going to fight for them. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and you need to have a moment with God. God, I thank you that you've given us the tools in your Holy Spirit, you've given us the drive, and God, we put you in the first chair, and God, we're going after this generation. They're not lost. They're hungering for us to fight for them the way you fought for me. And God, we go and we do that today, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, God, we need you, and we need you now.